listening to America's Web Radio. And now time for the Classic Car Show with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio and the Classic Car Show. And we have a fantastic guest on today and uh, we're delighted to have Kim Barnes uh, on with us. And Kim is not only uh, doing a lot of new and different and exciting things, but Kim also is a host on the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio, which... uh, we always uh, appreciate people um, letting people know about that. Kim, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing fine. I, I, I must apologize that we don't have the bald one and, and the one with too much hair. Uh, Steve and Jim both are out of town. Uh, Jim's up in New York somewhere, and I'm not sure where Steve is, but uh, both are out of town this week. and So I get the pleasure of talking to Kim Barnes. You can't beat that. <laughs> well, I'm sitting on the uh, sitting on the show field at uh, in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, at their import uh, show. You know, they break their car events down by make of car if it's big enough. Like they have a Ford show and a General Motors show and a Corvette show. Uh, this is the import show, which features. <laughs> pretty much everything not built in the United States. Um, everything from new supercars to uh, vintage cars. So, and it's, uh, it was 90 degrees here yesterday. This morning, it's 50 degrees. Wow. So, typical of uh, Pennsylvania weather, I guess. Well, uh, we're sitting... At, this has just been a strange year. I told my wife yesterday that uh, um, we never had winter here in Atlanta, and uh, for that reason, uh, my son has found out that uh, snakes, there are more snakes than normal, uh, and just the whole thing. And, and for some reason, I just, I've floated from, from what was on the calendar winter into summer, and yet we never got out of summer from 2016. But this, is, this has been a, a strange weather year. Um, so you're in Carlisle, and, and you you and I exchanged a couple of emails and so forth, and you made reference to um, uh, not liking Korean cars, which I thought was interesting. Uh, my son was stationed in Korea for a couple of years, and uh, uh, he actually, not from a car standpoint, but from a, a South Korean standpoint, enjoyed uh, his two years there and, and learning about their culture, which is obviously 180 degrees from ours. But uh, uh, what, what's being featured in Carlisle this year? What, what kind of cars? They feature a country every oh, year, I'm sorry. A, a car from a country. And this year the feature is Korean it's cars. Korean, okay. um, and I, I could be, you know, com- completely misinformed, but um, I, uh, I do a lot of dog rescue, and um, I know in Korea um, they tend to uh, breed dogs for human consumption, um, which is just so disturbing to me that uh, the thought of putting any money into their economy by buying their cars just doesn't work for me. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, I can remember a time uh, when they made no cars. I guess Kia is their biggest, one of their biggest cars now. Um, 
but for many, many years, and correct me if I'm wrong, Korea was not making cars. Well, I remember in the probably 86, maybe, when the Hyundai first came over, and uh, you couldn't get it in all states. Then nobody could pronounce it, and I think their advertising slogan was rhymes with Sunday, as in ice cream, because <laughs> nobody uh, knew how to pronounce it. I think they were probably, you know, similar to Hitachi, a big industrial equipment company that went into the car business. But that's the first time I remember seeing anything Korean in the market. Um, and then Kia followed, and it took them a long time, like, to be sold in Maryland, which is where I live. You could buy them in Washington, D.C., but not in Maryland, and I assume that was probably an emissions uh, type thing. And then they were all econo boxes. Now um, Hyundai has, I mean, they have almost a, a luxury-type sedan, probably, you know, competing with Lexus and Infiniti and the 3 Series BMW, so it's uh, a long way, and they do the have a good ge- uh, quality car. That's the Genesis, isn't it? I think it is. Yes, I think uh, I think it is. So, but uh, there's a lot of uh, in the Korean car section here. Um, there's some of like Hyundai's earlier cars that were never never came to the U.S. You know, back in the 1980s and things like that. And then there's the new cars that the young kids are modifying. Um, you know, making uh, street performance cars out of, but. I'm happy that people love cars. Whatever they want to do to them is fine with me. I just like to see young people interested in cars, and that's what's in the Hyundai group right here. Well, this you know, this is what we've, uh, this show has been all about since uh, Steve came on board to do the show, Steve Ronaldo. Back, would you believe, in 2005, so we've been on the air for 12 years promoting uh, the car industry, basically, and... uh, Steve came on then, and the whole thing has been centered around uh, young people and getting them interested in in cars, getting them where they can, uh, heaven forbid, change a flat tire. Um, I know that sounds strange, but a lot of kids wouldn't know where to begin. But um, uh, we've dedicated this show to getting uh, kids involved. Last week uh, we had... uh, or two weeks ago, we had uh, one of the X-Car folks on that's going to be in the great race, uh, one of the schools. We've got uh, Kyle, oh, gee, I just went brain dead, Kyle uh, Hayes, I believe is the last name, that uh, is uh, has been on the show a couple of times and will be on again very soon uh, uh, with um, a university that, uh, that teaches uh, restoration. And, you know... It, I hate to I hate to get on my soapbox, but and I, I I think you would agree and feel the same way. Cars in the United States more so than any place else in the world, in my opinion, uh, have been so important to our history. And for history books to cut out cars, cut out Ford, cut, cut out uh, the fact that cars made it possible for you could get in your car and drive from coast to coast. Wasn't necessarily easy to begin with, but as things have gone on, it's become easier and easier, and it's given given our nation, the United States, a personal freedom like nothing else ever had. Uh, you could get on a train, you could be on a stagecoach or whatever, but nothing has given personal freedom 
like the car has, and I think it has built the United States and should be a large, large part of history. Absolutely, and there, I was pleased yesterday, I got here early and registered, and there were, it was a line of six Volvos, um, kind of the 1980s through uh, early 90s uh, boxy station wagon and sedan, (laughs) and there were young people that had come from Massachusetts. Um, I actually think they might have slept in the station wagon the night before, but that's fine. Um, and they're here with the Volvo group, and there's 150 Volvos here, maybe, and 25% of them are owned by people under 30 years old. I mean, it's really become, you know, kind of a cult car, and it's great to see. And they walk around, and they look at the much older cars, and we talk about, car, you know, different types of carburetors versus fuel injection. Um, it's really, uh, it's very refreshing. And the Volvo people have a certain uh, look. You know, it's a, it's a lifestyle for them. It's basically become a lifestyle, and it's what was a kind of a termed granola, maybe with Birkenstock sandals <laughs> when I was growing up. Um, now it's the man bun. All the guys in Volvo seem to have the man bun. But it's a very, um, very carefree um, kind of lifestyle. But that's wonderful. You know, anything that, uh, any kind of lifestyle that involves young people in a car to me is exciting. Why they've chosen the Volvo, I have no idea, but they seem to love it, and it's fun to see. So, well, you know, I, I don't think, and and I'll be the first. I, I've never been a big Volvo fan, other than what was their sports car that they had back in the early uh, or, or mid sixties? Yeah, the uh, the eighteen hundred. Yeah, that, I, uh, I love um, that. Yep, it was a Bond car. The Saint drove it. I loved that car. And that was initially built in Great Britain by Jensen. Hmm. And that's why when you look in it, you see like twin SU carburetors. It's very, the early versions of them are very British. And hmm. I think that is one of the most beautiful cars ever built. And then they did a station wagon version of it um, a little bit later. And then recently, I think production just stopped two years ago. They did a retro wagon that was a play off of that 1960s glass bubble back uh, wagon. So, but yeah, the, the 1800 was just a stunning, stunning car. And there's some very, very nice ones here too. I you think know, that's the mil- the million mile one of the million mile Volvos is an 1800. You know the uh, the other thing about Volvos that uh, and. and I hate to say this, but my sister and her husband are big Volvo people, and and you almost put the Volvo people in in their own sort of nerdy class, I guess, which I'll uh-huh. probably get some hate mail for that. But um, the one thing that I think, from my standpoint, that was always overlooked about Volvos was there. I don't think there's been a safer car built. Uh, they featured safety from from the get go, I guess. They did, yeah. That was their big, uh, their big sales campaign. Of course, they've always done well in snow because they're from Sweden. Um, and it's interesting. I guess it's the Swedish connection. You know, you can, you see groups of people gathering, and the Volvo people and the Saab people here um, tend to congregate together. Their cars are all from Sweden, which makes sense. But they're this, they're the same kind of people, um, and they're car people are eclectic, no matter what they collect. You know, they're eclectic in their own their own way. And if you look at Volvo and Saab people, 
they're eclectic in one way. Um, I now have a French car, which is very new for me. I'd always had British. So last night I had dinner with the French car people, which is Renault and Citroën. They're very much like the British car people. And then over on the other side of the field, you have the people that collect German cars. They're eclectic in their own certain way. Mm-hmm. Then there's the Japanese car people. They're also eclectic, but different from everybody else. So I think personality tends to go with car. I think the personality part comes first, and that dictates the car you buy. But occasionally it might go the other way. You know, (laughs) now, interestingly enough, um, you never really, well, this is my opinion. I don't think of France as a car country particularly the only what the renault was about the only thing that they had on the market for many years well in though i bought a a citroen 2cv or du chevaux um a couple months ago and i've wanted one since i was a little girl but that car was actually designed before the volkswagen beetle Hmm. and the hitler everyone knows commissioned Ferry Porsche to design the Beetle because he wanted Germans to have inexpensive transportation. Before he did that, he knew that Citroën had a small economical car designed and ready to go. He tried to get them to build that, but they just didn't want any part of him. Then he tried to force Citroën, which was closely connected to Michelin, to build the Beetle, and they refused. Kim, I need to stop you there. We're against a hard break. Can we hold that thought and come back and talk more about it right after the break? We'll be back on the Classic Car Show right after this. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Okay, we're back on the America's Web Radio Classic Car Show. And I, since uh, Steve and Jim had to be away uh, this weekend, I wrapped up one of our other hosts, Kim Barnes. And. Um, Kim, it's a, it's a delight to have you on the show today. I'm sorry that you're having to put up with the novice uh, that I am, but um, love what you're doing and, uh, you know, want to talk about more of what you're doing. We were talking about French cars and the one that you've got now that, that you've always wanted. I must say, you sent me a picture of it, 
And um, I can see you coming out from that car, but I can't quite see an old man like me getting out of it. It's actually pretty roomy. You know, uh, a Duchevaux is sort of a French version of a Volkswagen Beetle. It's the only uh, compact car that has four doors. You know, so it's very easy to get in and out of the back seat. It's, it's even more like a bubble than a Beetle is. So if you think about what was coming out in Europe for compact cars, you had the Fiat 500, you had the Volkswagen Beetle, you had the Mini Cooper. Um, they all had two doors. They might have had a back seat, but they were two doors. Mm-hmm. The Duchevaux actually has four doors. And they started making it in 1948. Um, you know, the war was over, and Europeans, or the French particularly in agriculture, needed some kind of transportation to get what they were growing and raising to market. So Citroën, which was owned by Michelin at the time, developed this car, and what's unique about it is the suspension. Um, it has four-wheel independent suspension. It has two horizontal shocks on each side, the left side and the right side, connected by rods. Hmm. So the you're connecting the front and rear suspension on each side as opposed to the two front wheels and the two rear wheels, which is what we're used to. So it keeps the all four wheels very firmly planted. The car was designed to go on horrible, unpaved roads through rural France and not upset whatever cargo was in it. The most commonly heard story is that it was to be used for transporting eggs, which was a big industry in rural France. And they needed a car that had great accessibility and you could haul eggs over horrible roads and have the eggs not break. Hmm. And that's kind of what this car is all about. And then the convertible top on the initial cars came off at the windshield and was a cloth top all the way down to the rear bumper. So you could basically remove this entire top and put some sort of large, tall piece of farm implement in it and just drive. Uh, they added in 1970 a more traditional trunk door, but it still has a convertible top that unlatches at the windshield. Uh, you can put it a third of the way back, two-thirds of the way back, or all the way back, which takes it down to the trunk lid. So it's just a very, uh, very interesting, unique car. And Citroën kind of pioneered the special edition. In 1976, sales were down. So they brought out a special edition called the Spot that was creamsicle, orange and white. And it sold out almost immediately and kind of launched their special editions. Uh, they did one uh, for when France had a boat in the America's Cup. Citroën did a special edition called the France 3 that had boat and ocean graphics on it. <laughs> and part of the proceeds went to fund... Uh, France's entry in the America's Cup. They did a Coca Rico edition, which was connected to World Cup soccer, and raised a little bit of money for that. And then I have one called a South Ante, which means flying duck. Uh, the Germans started calling two CDs or Duchevaux ducks for whatever reason. Citroën was smart, picked up on it, actually produced brochures with ducks. So they took basically what was a joke, people calling their car a duck, and used it for marketing and sold cars all over the place to the point of where they made 400 special flying duck editions. And what I have is uh, is one of those. So it's bright grass green, 
and has big flying duck graphics on each side and the trunk lid. It's definitely not for everybody, but I like cars that make people smile, and this, <laughs> this does the trick there. So, Well, now, uh, do they not, is it from a safety standpoint, or you just don't hear, or I don't hear, of, of that car or any French car being sold particularly widespread in the United States is that uh, is it uh, the emissions or is it a safety or it's what what's the whole both um, well the Duchevaux never was sent here um, because I think it wouldn't have passed even the earliest safety standards um, it's just not a not a safe car basically it's lightweight sheet metal the bumpers are don't do very much uh, it's not a safe car I don't think Citroen thought that there was a market in the U.S. for a small economical car, well, Volkswagen proved them wrong in a very big way. So Citroën probably missed the mark there. They could have beefed up their safety standards and made the money that Volkswagen did with the Beetle. Um, then they they just never, never really sold cars in the U.S. They had a few of their big station wagons here. They had the SM, which was actually a Maserati-powered station wagon. It's the one a lot of people think of when they think of Citroën, which has a hydraulic suspension. You look at the station wagon, it looks like it's sitting on the ground, and how could you even possibly drive it? And here's this complex hydraulic suspension system that lifts it up when you drive the car. Uh, but Peugeot sold cars in the U.S. probably into the 80s, and I believe it was our emission standards that finally just convinced them, you know, forget this, we're going to go home. Um, so that was pretty much it. I think they were the last holdout for French cars. Renault was here um, with the Alliance and the Le Car in the 70s and probably into the early 80s, but I think it was emissions that drove them away, too. Okay, back in the very early 60s, the Renault that was, it was uh, thinner than any car I'd ever seen. You know, you it, it, you had it, it would seat four people, but the two in the front and the two in the back were sitting in each other's laps almost. But I had a teacher, Mrs. Holcomb. I was in um, the uh, sixth grade, I believe, and uh, Miss Holcomb had, and she was a very a, a fairly tall lady, but she had a, a Renault, a Renault, and uh, what was it, Do- Renault Dauphine or something? Yeah. It depends on, you know, the, where you are. You can pronounce it either way. Like Citroën can be Citroën. just depends on where you are. But anyway, some <laughs> of her... I think you're talking about a Renault 4. I know exactly what you mean. Some of her uh, class, and, and certainly you can appreciate that being the sweet, innocent child that I was, I didn't, I didn't have any part of this. Uh, you understand that, and I want to make it perfectly. <laughs> I'm not admitting to anything. But during recess once in a while, some of the young men in the sixth grade would pick that car up and literally take it off the street and put it on the sidewalk. And Ms. Holcomb would come out and find her car on the sidewalk and have to drive down the sidewalk to the, to the road and, and bounce down and off the curb and onto the road again. Or they would turn it around in the parking place that she might have been in. Now... Again, I had nothing to do with it, and uh, I, I don't want. I, surely, time has run out on on anybody getting in trouble for that by now. But uh, 
It was, it was, you know, the Volkswagen had just barely come out, and then here was this thing called a Renault, four-door Renault, and it was about as, as wide as a pencil. And there's a immaculately restored car just like that here. It's blue, and uh, it's beautiful, and it's nice to see somebody that restored an economical kind of regular person car. You know, everybody restores high-end cars, but there's there's one of those here that she would probably love to see. And I believe that car did finally in France outsell the Citroën 2CV. Hmm. Um, it, it's finally, uh, it finally got it. That was a huge. I bet they made, if those were no fours, I bet they made three million of them. Um, really popular car in Europe. Wow. Well, we only have a, a few minutes to go before we go into our second break, but I wanted to talk about what what you're doing besides uh, what you're doing today uh, at the Carlisle, um, and tell us something and, and get started on it, and then after the break we'll come back and talk more about Art in Motion and what you're going to be doing with the concourse and uh, how we might be able to help you between now and October. Well, Art in Motion, um, the idea from it came from the Goodwood Festival of Speed. And what's unique, Goodwood Festival of Speed is in England, and they hold two Goodwood events, um, one in the spring and one in the fall. What's unique about that is it's a traditional concourse in that there's cars on the show field, but what the unique part is that there's also cars on the racetrack. So at Goodwood, there's all kinds of things going on. It's basically a car show with vintage race laps um, all in one, and that. Uh, gave us the idea for Art in Motion. Um, and that's the play on words, I guess. Uh, cars are art, so they're sitting still on a show field. And the motion part is around the show field is a four-mile racetrack uh, road course, and every car in the show ends up on the track at some point in time. So that's kind of the gist of Art in Motion. And it's going to be held where now? It is Columbus Day weekend um, at Monticello Motor Club, which is in the Catskill Mountains um, and uh, about 90 minutes from New York City. It's the only private motorsports club, I believe, in the U.S. It would be just like a a high-end private golf club, but instead of golf, they have a racetrack. Wow. So can uh, I come, if I'm a member of the club, can I come out and and drive a car around the track anytime I want to, or is it... Uh... Yeah, they have um, different levels of membership. Um, the gold membership level, yes, you can come come anytime, drive their cars. Um, BMW is the official car of the track, so they have fleets and fleets of M-series cars for the racetrack, or you can drive your own car. They have garages there where you can keep your car. They're building a museum where you'll be able to keep collector cars. I, I assume um, they, then, I'm sorry, I assume they have something like gold, silver, bronze. Do they exactly, have, gold, do they silver, have a bronze. do they have a copper level? I might be able to afford the copper level. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to talk them into doing an international membership. Um, because I think there's a lot of uh, people that come from other countries to New York that would want to do that a couple times a year. So they're always growing and changing. Wow, I, I think that's fascinating. I want to talk a little bit more about that. We're going to take our uh, second break here on America's Web Radio and the Classic Car Show and want to thank our sponsors, J.C. Taylor Insurance and uh, Passport Transport. Uh, both of them have been great. Uh, 
Bob Wallace with uh, J.C. Taylor has been with us since the start, and uh, Passport Transport uh, came on board about a year ago, and we appreciate both of them and appreciate you listening to America's Web Radio, and we certainly want to thank again our guest today, Kim Barnes, who's also a host on the Classic Car Show. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're back on the Classic Car Show, and uh, although our in-studio host, uh, Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber, both have to be out of town or had to be out of town this weekend, we've got our out-of-town and our only lady host, Kim Barnes, on. But she's not just talking about hosting the show. She's talking about all the other things that she does. I don't see how you do them all, and and uh, it must keep you busy from daylight to dark, uh, day in and day out. We were talking about art in motion, and uh, I love that name because I, you know, when, just saying art in motion, you have to think about the car. In my it, opinion, yeah, to me, cars are art. Um, you know, I look at uh, look at a painting, and it's okay. Um, but I look at a car and the lines and the colors, um, and they are. They're absolutely art. So I think uh, I think it's a very fitting, very fitting name. You know, I, let me ask: Do you miss this? And this is really not well. It's some classic car, I guess. But as a kid, and this goes back more years than I want to admit. But you know, fifty, sixty years ago, and I know you can't remember that. You weren't even born then, but. Um, when I was uh, 10, 11, 12 years, the, one of the most exciting things, and, and it was almost more exciting than Christmas, was September. And September would be the introduction of the New Year's cars. And you would, and we talked about this on the show before, where they had the, uh, the dealership, the Ford, the Chevy dealership, and, and even the old um, Chrysler dealerships would have brown paper on the window with just one little corner maybe turned up just a little bit where if, if you laid down on the sidewalk and looked just right you could get just a glimpse of the new car but every year ford and chevy had redesigned their cars 
and you couldn't wait as a kid that loved cars to see what they had come out with. And and then if you took a trip, you know, we'd take a trip with our parents, and my sister and I would play a game of we'd see a car, the taillights of a car, and the first that could identify the taillights uh, and, and name the kind of car it was. But there's some, you know, to me, it's missing the the fascination with redesigning a car each year has gone. It, uh, you know, an SUV is an SUV is an SUV from Ford, or they they just don't change that much. But I'm I miss the introduction of it. It, it was like Christmas in September. What do you think, Kim? Well, I'm impressed that uh, you and your sister played that game. So, how often did your sister win? Um. More so than I'd like to admit, but I always <laughs> I, I won more than she did. But she, you know, she was pretty good, and and it was it was it was something. You know, the uh, the fifty nine Impala or fifty nine Chevrolet with the eyebrow, the the cat eyes or tail lights or whatever you want to call it, and then when they came out with the the three lights on the back in the in the nineteen sixty, and then the sixty one, and and you could tell whether it was a Biscayne or an Impala by two lights or three lights, and. You know, and and uh, you could tell the oh my goodness the um, the Cadillac with the fins that were you know you'd think they the car was flying the fins were so big and the two little lights on on either side of the fins, but you know kids I don't think kids do that today and, and in fact I you know I'm sure they don't. Well, I think when um, everything became about gas mileage and the wind tunnel um, got popular. You know, everything's all about aerodynamics, and that took away a lot of the um, the uniqueness of cars. It forced automotive designers to be all about gas mileage, um, and that's, you know, why these uh, sport utility vehicles, to me, all look the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so do sedans. They were designed in a wind tunnel. Yeah, but so do the sedans today, whether it's a, mm-hmm. a Hyundai or a, or, a, or a Ford. They... The, the mid-sized car, as they call them, um, you know that you can't tell whether they're made in in Dallas or in Korea or wherever. So uh, they've they've all gotten. But don't you? Didn't as a kid? Didn't you go to the dealerships and look for the new cars? The Absolutely. New cars? And I used to. Uh, I started driving in nineteen seventy-seven. I think. Um, oh, I, I hate to tell you when I started driving. <laughs> 1964. Wow, that's, uh, I, was, I was two then. But um, <laughs> I used to, um, we had, I always liked foreign, I liked foreign cars, I liked domestic cars too. But um, I would go out on dates and then after dinner or whatever we did, I would like to drive around the car dealerships and look at the cars that they had on the lot. And uh, back in the mid '70s, that was just weird for a girl, you know. Hey, let's let's drive by the Triumph MG dealership and you know see see what new color TR6 came in on the truck yesterday. <laughs> that um, that was just strange. But I like you, you know. I've al- always loved that. I still have some of the brochures that I got from car dealerships in the '60s. Put them in the basket of my Stingray Sears bicycle. And rode home with them, and I still have a couple of them. So I, I just I love them. I just thought of something too that uh, I wonder if there. I don't know if there's a collection of them, but um, 
you know, every every dealership, and they still do it. Every dealership puts their name or logo or something on the trunk or the back of the car or whatever, which uh, in past few years, anytime I've gotten a new car, I've, I've demanded that I didn't want that sticker on my car. And so, you I know. I do the same thing. <laughs> um, but we had a dealership in Lubbock, Texas, that had the coolest little plaque or whatever you want to call it that was it was uh, attached and it was um, it was not a sticker it was a little plaque and it was penny chevrolet and they had the the chevrolet logo except right in the center of it they put a penny a real live absolute copper penny and it was the coolest emblem or whatever you id logo whatever you want to call it uh, that they put on the back of the car, and it was it was permanently affixed to the car. You didn't wow. just pop it off, but it had. I loved it, and I wonder if anybody, if there were other. I know there were other metal logos or car dealership signs or whatever you want to call them, and a lot of people, a lot of them went to the to the license plates. But you know, they still they still had the thing on the back of the trunk or the back of the. SUV, and I wonder if there's a collection of those anywhere. I'm sure. I think uh, people collect just about everything. And my mother, who will turn 89 tomorrow, uh, tells me that when she was growing up, car dealers brought the car to you. You didn't go to the dealer. You know, when they knew it was about time for a new car, dealers would start calling, wanting to bring bring the car over and take your family out to lunch. Then, if you bought the car. They would give you a discount if you would let them put their dealership logo on the back. Huh. So I don't know when that ended, but it was either a cash discount or they would give you, like, gift certificates to a restaurant. There was some incentive to let them put their logo on the car. Now, where was this? This was uh, Iowa. I, okay. Well, they didn't do it in Texas. Uh, you, you just accepted that uh, the dealership was going to put their little whatever on the car and and like i said the the penny chevrolet uh that was the guy's last name uh was penny and uh then he took the the chevrolet logo and put that a uh, real penny in the middle of it and um you know they they mass produce those suckers and i can't remember the story but there was they mass produced them and some you'd see the 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 back of the penny, and some would be the the would be the Lincoln side of the penny, and I, I can't remember all I can't remember at all the details. I just remember this. There was a story about if you got one with the head of the Lincoln, what it you know supposed to be good luck. If you got the one with the tail of the Lincoln or the tail of the penny, um, it wasn't such good luck. So now, were they, were they always right side up? Well, that what do you mean? Like it was, uh, were they? If they were just sort of dropped in randomly, you know, Lincoln's head could be leaning to the left or leaning to the right, or was oh, it I, was heads up? Was it straight, perfectly straight? No, it was. It was in a uh, Lincoln might be upside down on it. <laughs> it was. <laughs> However, Lincoln fell in the the logo. He was there. He was there, and uh, but you didn't know whether you were going to get heads or tails. And uh, if you if you got the heads, it was good luck. If you got the tails, it was not such good luck. Um, what a great idea. It'd be fun to find. I'm sure you could find one of those if you uh, spoke 
spend a little time on eBay. Yeah, it. it uh, I might try to do that one of these times because it, it was. It, I, it, to my way of thinking, it was the most unique uh, car. What do you call those? The dealership. Dealership emblem, emblem, I would call it. Okay. And they're, you know, they add. If you have one like Hollywood Sports Cars in California, um, was the big dealer for British sports cars, and one of their emblems is worth a lot of money. Um, and if it's still on an original paint car, it's incredible. So I had one of those. I had a car that I bought the car. It had been repainted, but the Hollywood sports car emblem was in the trunk. So I had it restored because it was a mess, and it was pot metal. And I didn't realize how expensive it is to have pot metal redone. It was a fortune. I could have chromed it three times for what it cost. But that's such an iconic uh, emblem that it was still worth doing it. You know, the the other big thing was the uh, hood ornament. Oh yeah, and uh, you know, Oldsmobile had a unique one. Uh, you know, I, I can't remember Chevy ever having a particularly unique, but different different cars. And and I know I know they're the collectors of hood ornaments, lots of them. But uh, they were always unique designs. There's even I think people that photograph them and people that collect the photographs of them. <laughs> the other special edition going back to the Duchevaux is the Perrier Water Company uh, commissions uh, Citroën to do a a special Perrier edition and instead of a center console which doesn't exist anyway because the cars are front wheel drive there was a built in Perrier cooler Hmm. but Perrier's symbol is a monkey and they initially on the car had a hood ornament that was a monkey but they moved it back to where the hood attaches below the windshield and made it a monkey that looked like he was spitting water out of his mouth. <laughs> so that was a one of the more unique uh, hood ornaments. It wasn't wasn't attractive, but it's certainly unique. You know, uh, I heard an interesting thing talking about Perrier. Was that uh, where did this thing of you know like the other day I paid two dollars for a, a, a bottle of water. And uh, then, I, then on the radio, I heard something about they were kidding about France coming over and saying, you know, how stupid can Americans be that they will buy our water? And that was Perrier that introduced uh, bottled water. You know, when when you could get it out of the tap, but then all of a sudden it was cool to buy it and pay uh, some kind of seemingly outrageous price for imported water. I remember going into a you know convenience store to get gas. I was thirsty, so I bought water, and realizing that I just paid more for bottled water, which I don't even know where it came from. I think it was just filtered. I paid more for water than I did for high test gasoline. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that is. That is. We're going to take another break on America's Web Radio and the Classic Car Show, and uh, our special guest today is Kim Barnes also a host on the Classic Car Show. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. Your auto love and investment demands the best. And for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. 
Passport Transport. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're back on the Classic Car Show without Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber, and I hope uh, uh, not too many people have hung up because we have a special guest, Kim Barnes, who's also a host on the Classic Car Show. And uh, Kim is just doing all sorts of fascinating things. I, I, as I'm sitting here, and you and I have been talking about some of the stuff that you're doing and and uh, also um, the, the information that you sent, I think I'm jealous. I'm not sure, but I, I think I've got a, a twinge of jealousy for what you're doing. And I, I want to get to uh, the other thing that you're involved in, and that's... Uh, Vintage Motor Management, and uh, if people don't know what that is, explain it to them. <laughs> Before you get too jealous, um, I'll let you know that I haven't slept more than four hours for the last three nights because uh, I am pretty busy. But um, uh, car collection management is not new, but it's certainly growing. Um, and being affiliated with a car club racetrack um, is kind of how this started. Um, there's a lot of people that you know, get into cars, particularly get into racing um, quickly or start doing track days. And then the car hobby just kind of branches out. Um, in that case, it goes from, hey, I'm racing newer cars, but older cars are really neat. I'd like to have some, but I don't know how to buy them. And then sometimes it goes the other way. People with older cars know that they may not be the safest thing to race, so they start racing a newer car. So the car hobby just kind of uh, kind of spreads out and takes over your life. But we have uh, work with a group of people that are belong to a motorsports club and really want to get into the collector car hobby. Um, sometimes it's new cars. Just start collecting, you know, very exotic, very limited production supercars, but a lot of times it's older cars. And they just don't feel like they have usually the time um, to do the necessary research to buy a car. Um, if you look at, wow, how do I buy, um, you know, a vintage Porsche? There's so many avenues in front of you. You know, there's the internet, there's uh, vintage car dealerships, there's car shows. It's just kind of overwhelming. Um, so they haven't have enough means to buy the car. They also have enough means to hire somebody to actually research the car, help them buy it, um, and talk to them about what they want to do. You know, if you're buying a car that's a hundred point Concours restoration, but you have no interest in showing it, you really want to drive it. It's probably not the car for you. So what we do is we get to know people, find out how much they want to invest in a car collection, um, where they live. Usually they have several homes. 
what they want to do with them. Do they have any interest at all in car shows? Do they just want to drive them? Do they want to be involved in a restoration? Some people love the idea of kind of bringing the car back to life and being involved in that whole process, and that's the fun for them. Um, some of our clients enjoy the hunt. They're all over auction sites. They love bidding. So they'll see something maybe on Bring a Trailer is a great new auction site. Or not new, but it's very popular right now. Um, one of our clients saw something on Bring a Trailer and said, wow, this is a neat car. It was a Go-Go Mobile Dart, which was a knockdown car that was coming had come out of Australia. So they sent me the link and said, hey, it's a seven-day auction. I think this is a really neat car. What can you find out about it? How much should we pay for it? Um, you know, but what can we do to kind of vet this car? And then I'll, they'll do the bidding because everybody loves to bid. So that's uh, what we did for this gentleman is we researched the car. We sent somebody out to take a look at it, decided it uh, was a good investment, a lot of fun up to this point. Mechanically, it was great. And then he did the bidding. But we did everything else for him, including getting the car picked up having it gone through for a general safety inspection, having a little bit of maintenance done, and now it's being shipped back from California to New Jersey. Um, so that's uh, kind of what the, the collection management end of what we do is. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun, but it's, uh, it's kind of a 24-hour job. You know, I, I was just thinking about personalities that are in the, the classic car hobby or car industry as a whole and I think uh, you have you have one personality that's uh, look at me and and what I'm driving and then you have another personality that I appreciate yesterday and that's why I'm driving uh, then you have another personality that says I we've got to keep uh, the world informed and I restored this car because it was so important in the past that kids in the future have to know the importance of it. Is that is that a fair characterization of people that, that have uh, either collections or have one or two uh, classic cars? It seems like we have people that um, enjoy, some people enjoy looking for them, other people just want to own them, um, and sometimes don't even want to learn how to drive them. Um, like, I'll be at the Elegance at Hershey uh, showing one of our clients Porsche 906 race car. Um, there's 65 906s built, um, and it's, it's just an incredibly complex race car with an engine that would be almost impossible to repair if you blew the engine. Mm. The gentleman that owns that um, really doesn't have an interest in driving the car. He likes owning it. Um, you know, he likes having it shown, um, but doesn't want to show it himself. A, tra um, a trailer queen is a trailer queen. Is that what you? No, it actually makes laps makes laps around the racetrack. Um, it goes to vintage races. It's just it's complicated. It's hard to get in and out of. Um, it's it's extremely hard to transport because it's so low to the ground. Um, he loves owning it, has it in the garage of his house, has it at a racetrack occasionally, would like it shown in Hershey, um, but doesn't want to deal with uh, the difficulty of actually, you know, owning it and doing things with it. Hmm. Um, and that's really kind of common. Um, or there's uh, just race 
full race cars. We have a couple of another client that owns full out racing Porsches, and I mean, they're you need you hook a laptop up to them. I mean, they're just so complex. Again, they love owning them, but don't want to deal with driving them every day. So part of what we do is we exercise the cars because everybody knows if cars sit, they start braking. So that's about the kind of the most common thing I see is people want to own them for the art and, you know, to some, have something to talk about, uh, but they don't necessarily want to deal with uh, the day-to-day maintenance and everything that goes along with them. Interesting. So there, there's really... Well, let me ask. Uh, generally speaking, and this is probably a, a very bigoted statement of sorts, but how many... Obviously, you're a lady that loves cars. How many ladies come to you and say, "I want to start a collection," or "I, you know, I want you to buy two or three cars for me," or whatever? I don't know that that's ever happened. Um, I, I do have, um, I have women that would like to know a little bit about maybe their husband's cars because mm-hmm. they'll be out socially, um, and the husband the subject of their car collection will come up and they just want to know what I call conversational knowledge basically what the car is, what the significance of it is, just a few things like that so I'll actually put together like a little bullet point sheet that they can keep in their pocketbook and maybe if they're going to a social gathering where they know cars might come up, just take a quick look at the bullet points um, and you know at least they'll be somewhat informed on a topic that they really don't have too much interest in. So that's happened. Interesting. Okay, I want to get uh, back right quick to uh, the Art in Motion concourse. It's uh, by invitation only, and as far as both the cars and the guests. So with that in mind, what kind of numbers are you looking at, both for cars and for guests? We'll have about 130 cars on the show field. Um, it's the show is the show part of it is split into two days. Saturday is a race car concours. Um, the featured mark is Formula One, so we'll have probably 10 uh, significant Formula One cars from the 50s through the 70s. Um, a class on Bugattis and a class on Millers. Uh, then the other. Sunday goes to more of a standard concourse. So between the two days, we'll probably have 150, 160 cars on the show field. And as far as people going through the show, uh, about maybe 1,500 people. Last year, we had 750. This year, it'll double to probably 1,500. Wow. And this is in Monticello? Monticello, New York. And uh, to um, we do... One of the ways the general public can get in is we're always looking for, you know, very interesting Concord cars. Uh, so if you Google Art in Motion, uh, the website comes up. It's actually artinmotionmmc.com. Um, and if you'd like to apply to show a car, uh, you can do that. And that's kind of the, the one way to get into Monticello Motor Club and the show without the expense of joining the club. Hmm. I, I think that who came up with this idea? Uh, the principal of the motor club. He knew what the Goodwood Festival of Speed was and decided he wanted to have this. And we started it out as private just because when it's brand new, it's easier if you keep it small, and that's a way of keeping it small. 
it wouldn't surprise me if in the next maybe two to three years it becomes open to the public. That will uh, that's like opening Pandora's box, isn't it? It is, yeah. It makes a very, very different event when you do that. So, uh, it's, we do have um, a good video of it on YouTube. If you uh, pull up YouTube and put in Art in Motion, um, you get to see what, uh, what last year's show was all about. So that's a, that's a way of seeing it. We'll do a lot more. We couldn't fly a drone last year because it was too windy. Um, this year, hopefully, we won't have wind. And Monticello Motor Club has a YouTube channel, so you should be able to see a lot more of the 2017 show on YouTube as long as it's not crazy windy. Oh, I think that's fantastic. And uh, mentioning uh, YouTube, we're gonna we're doing a lot here at America's Web Radio. Uh, we're going to be expanding with our network to uh, America's Talk Radio, America's Internet Radio, and we'll have even though we have a channel now, America's Web Radio on YouTube. We're going to be expanding that, and uh, we've got a young man coming on that's going to be heading up our video department. So. Looking forward to a, a lot of new things that uh, one of these days, instead of being just talk, uh, we might be video and talk, Kim. That, uh, that's, that's interesting. I was just at the Motor Club um, last week, I guess, and watched them uh, fly a drone to mm-hmm. follow cars on the racetrack. Um, that was fascinating. And uh, then we did some filming on the racetrack where I sat in the back of a uh, pickup truck with a guy strapped in with a harness doing video at 90 miles an hour uh, with race cars behind it. We do a uh, we do a show on drones uh, called Lawyer or Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, and it's the legalities of drones. And um, so we uh, we're being unique programming. If you need to check the laws on on drones, we got the lady that can do it. That's got to be a, a fascinating topic because I learned a little bit about uh, the insurance that goes with uh, having a business that involves a drone. I mean, just imagine a drone hitting a person would be horrible. Also, hitting a $20 million Ferrari with your drone would be really bad. So I learned a little bit about that, and it is extremely interesting. With that being said, we got to end the show, put the plug in the jug. Kim Barnes, thank you so much for being on the show today with us, and we look forward to um, talking to you some more. If you'll stay with us just a minute, we'll uh, be going uh, on with America's Web Radio and the uh, Homegrown Veggie Show. Stay tuned. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.